Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. That is Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? Doing great today, Steve. How are you? Good. Did you remember when I told you this baseball is all about and why I have it as a prop? Of course I do. What yes. Was? It is because you were the, uh, you got voted best coach of the year from your son's little league team. No, I'm kidding. But it was from <laughs> your son's little league team and all the uh, kids signed it for you as a gift. Why, why is it a joke that you wouldn't imagine or couldn't imagine that I would be <laughs> the best coach in the league? I just, I, I don't think it's a joke. I think that you definitely were. That's why I had to say no, it. I, I was just... the assistant to the assistant coach. Were you really? <laughs> and I said, kids, did you please sign my ball? No, oh. It's all true. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Talk about learning about leadership. This is uh, Lessons in Leadership. Uh, Mary, tell folks wherever they can find us, which is expanding every day. Oh my gosh, every day. by the Go minute, every, every time we do this. So first of all, they can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. They can subscribe there to get all of our podcasts. They can follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter. And also on AM 970, Fios On Demand, um, I'm what sure about on NJBIA, the business NJBIA, and stand-deliver.com, which is our own website. We have a ton of valuable resources on our website, free columns, information on our books. Uh, all of our past podcasts can also be found there as well. Also want to plug our friends at the Business and Industry Association and ROINJ. It's expanding every time we do the program. I also want to thank our funders who make this program possible, the folks at Prager Metis, the great accounting firm, uh, New Jersey Resources, as well as uh, Hackensack Meridian Health, Valley, uh, the great Valley Bank. We're going to have Ira Robbins mm -hmm. going to be taping Absolutely. the CEO with us today and also uh, International Organization of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Enough plugging. We have our good friend and colleague, Dr. Brian Price is in the house, the executive director of the Bucino Leadership Institute at the great Seton Hall University. Good to see you, my friend. Go Pirates. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Steve, for having me. We should make this clear that we are taping this program. It'll be heard in 2020. Um, Brian not only is a hardcore Seton Hall University basketball and all sports fans, fans but we've been to games together. We, we root for the Pirates. We expect big things. By the way, Connect Leadership and the Seton Hall basketball program. Well, you know, it starts at the top, right, with Coach Willard and what he's doing with the team. And secondly, they're going to have to go through some a little bit of adversity here since Mamu got hurt. Yeah, as uh, we do this out. program, yeah. say Mamu's last name. Uh, Mamu Kashvili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest challenge today. Mamu's hurt. But, yeah, talk, talk about that. Let me go back and talk about what the Institute is about. You have a game plan, right? You have your starting five, and this has nothing to do with basketball. It's about whatever industry you're in. You set your five players. You've got the next people you want to put in. Then one of your top three players gets hurt and is out for eight weeks. That could be any industry. What does that have to do with leadership? Oh, 100%. So in the military, we would say things like, uh, no plan ever survives first contact. Uh, Mike Tyson would tell you... Uh, Everyone has a plan until? You get punched in the face. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned military. I can't. You can because? I, I retired lieutenant colonel, served for 20 years, and uh, retired in 2018. Go back to this planning. I got a plan. I'm totally focused. I'm going to execute my plan. All of a sudden, things change. You lose your top player. The defense doesn't look the way you thought it would. The marketplace changes. Go ahead. Sure. Talk about strategic agility. Yeah, I mean, the only constants in any industry, whether you're talking about sports or uh, the business sector or even in higher ed, is change. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later about how to lead this next generation of, of students sure. or, or leaders in terms of millennials and Gen Z. But uh, you have to be agile as a leader to survive today because if, if you're not, you're just going to get run over. 
Talk about the Bucino Institute. Yeah, Bucino Leadership Institute is a, is a pretty ambitious project. Um, you know that because you've been a part of the Bucino Center, which has been the leadership center um, in the Stillman School of Business for a long period of time, dating back to the 1990s. Uh, Karen Boroff and the previous president, Mary Meehan, uh, had this ambitious notion to expand that project uh, university-wide. Uh, so that we can provide leadership development across the university uh, in an interdisciplinary way. And so President Nair, our new president, has Joe come Nair, on board. Right? Yep, absolutely, and has uh, supported the, the, the project. And we're in our second year, so uh, no sophomore slump for us. It's good stuff. By the way, uh, let's plug this. Uh, Brian's going to talk about the fact that you have your own podcast that we're going to be collaborating on in Which 2020. You've been on. Yeah, it's, that was one of the, I really had a lot of fun on that. Describe what that is and how people can check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we want to provide our students with a bunch of different types of leadership experiences. Uh, so, you know, leadership is a contact sport. You just don't uh, learn from reading it in a book, although there's some fantastic books out there. So we want our students to actually do leadership. And one of the ways that we tried to do that was to establish a weekly podcast focused squarely on uh, providing insights to undergraduate leaders because there's, while there's no shortage of fantastic podcasts like this one, uh, there are very few that I think are targeted specifically for that college age student. And so the, it was an ambitious project. We have, it's completely student run, student mm -hmm. engineer, uh, student folks that uh, do background research, uh, that uh, produce, edit, distribute, um, all those sorts of things. And so it's the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on um, all the same types of uh, platforms that you mentioned earlier in terms yep. of Apple, Apple and Spotify. Apple Podcast, Podcast, Google Play, and yep. Spotify. Yep. By the way, let's get on Spotify. I know. Why aren't Stitcher, we on Spotify? Brian, on why are we well? not on Spotify? We, we, we might be already on there. Oh, we are. Well, we we are on Spotify. By the way, East Main Media Studios, Brian Brodeur in the house as well. Speaking about it, this is a great production operation, but I've also been over to WSOU at Seton Hall, which is a nationally recognized college radio station and is where you do the podcast. It is. Um, you know, another great plug for Seton Hall and talk about a great leadership laboratory. Uh, WSOU, which is, I think, in its 65th year, 70th year, mm. uh, is completely student-run. It's 24-7, won the Marconi Award a couple years ago for uh, best uh, college broadcast in the nation. Hold on a second. The Marconi Award. Who's it named after? Oh, will you stop? I'm Don't even. You're, yeah, you're putting me on Who's the spot. Who's Marconi? You think I know? No. Marconi? Should I know? Yep. Oh. Discovered the radio. Invented the radio. Wow. He that was, that was the before. Radio. Yeah, that was way before in I New was Jersey, born. I'm correct? sorry, you were. Down by yes. My area. By the way, Mary's going to have that edited out that I put her on the spot right <laughs> oh, there. Oh, no, no. I, I thought you were going to say you were going to edit out me saying that. I, see, I wasn't born when the radio was invented, but you were. So. <laughs> <laughs> that will get edited, I imagine. Oh, I guarantee you that I'll get edited. <laughs> um, that being said, said. <laughs> but did you see the tension between us? Yeah, that's why, that's why you put the guest in the middle. It's spirited. Oh, that's good. That's But go back for a second. I'm fascinated by this. The military background you have. And again, I mentioned this book that you know very well. It's called Extreme Ownership, written by two Navy SEALs. Talks Jocko. about their experience. Yeah, and their experience in Afghanistan. Question, how much of who you are as a leader, how you lead every day, is based on your military background? Loaded question. Second part, how much of it do you have to leave at the door front you know, before you go in? Because 99.9% of us, we don't have that background. We don't even know what you're talking about. Sure, but but you do um, because I think at its heart, whether you're talking about military leadership or effective leadership today, uh, particularly the leadership brand that Seton Hall likes to promote, is all about servant leadership. 
um, putting others before yourself. And I think that type of leadership is not just, it, it is definitely needed to uh, succeed in the military and to, to thrive, but it's by no means unique to, um, you know, just the military. I think we see some of our most effective leaders today who are our servant leaders. Um, I think the one aspect that is unique with the military, though, is uh, when you are, you know, oftentimes if you stay in long enough, you're going to be forced to uh, experience leadership in crisis situations where they're, you know, everyone talks about life and death situations, but in the military, particularly if you've been deployed, um, you experience those things. And uh, that is a very different type of uh, type of leadership experience. I will say, though, that that's not just military. You see that with our firefighters, with our first responders. We just saw what happened in Jersey City. The We're other taking day. right after horrific yeah. events in Jersey City where a very brave police officer, um, was killed in the line of duty. Yep. Brian, I'm, I'm curious about something. And by the way, let's also disclose that uh, I will be proud to be teaching in the spring 2020 semester of doing a series of seminars uh, with Brian and the students up at Seton Hall University and the Bucino Institute. Okay. Those students, and I got a great chance to, to, to meet them about a year or so ago. Do you believe that there's any significant difference, Brian, from, from being around and teaching the students you teach from, say, 18 to 22-ish? Mm -hmm. Do you believe there's any significant difference in the way most of them, I, I, don't, I don't like to generalize, the way most of them view leadership and what it takes to be a leader? And for some of us, we are different generations, obviously. Different time. Different? Yes. How so? So I think the most important thing is when you talk about millennials today versus, uh, you know, your generation, you're a little older than I am, not much, but I think when we grew up, leadership had a very hierarchical nature. Top down? Top down. Bureaucratic, right? Yep. Um, you have to pay your dues uh, for a long period of time before, you know, anyone asks your opinion. And I think this generation, both the millennials and the Generation Z that's right behind them, um, are much more uh, comfortable speaking truth to power um, and don't want to pay their dues. And I think there's pros and cons to both of that. What are the pros? What are the cons? Yeah, I think the pros of that is, you know, how long have, uh, just look at the private sector, uh, you know, for, for generations where you really didn't get a seat at the table until you were in, the, in a company for 20 or 30 years. Mm. And so how many great ideas um, did not get, you know, bubble up to the surface until you had to pay your dues for 20 or 30 years? And so, you know, I think you see a lot of stagnant organizations. I'm looking at your table with the Good to Great book on it. Yeah, um, you know, Jim right Collins, here. you know, obviously studied those types of organizations. I think the con of this is when you have a generation that's, you know, generally in power right now that grew up in that hierarchical nature and now is dealing with millennials and Gen Z folks that, you know, are pushing back and want more earlier, that creates some, some friction in an organization. There's a little more to it than I want to uh, follow up on, but I want to just take a moment to once again, you ever notice how often we thank our sponsors? Love it. Have to. Tell folks why you have to. Well, I, uh, the folks wouldn't be able to get this great product. We wouldn't be able <laughs> to be in this great studio. Right. And uh, yeah, I, you, you have to. Taking and, care of others. And by the way, the Bucino Institute, funded by Mr. Bucino. <laughs> Dr. Bucino. <laughs> oh, Dr. Doctor. Bucino. Who Represent. Gra he went to Seen Hall. He did. Good stuff. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Bucino, uh, Jerry <laughs> Bucino. How about this? I want to thank our, our uh, folks at Prager Metis, the folks who sponsor this program, Lessons Leadership. Mary, if I get this wrong, you'll correct mm -hmm. me. Prager Metis. 
New Jersey Resources, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, MD Advantage, St. Joseph's Health, Hackensack, Meridian Health, Valley uh, Bank, mm -hmm. our good friend Ira Robbins coming in here, the CEO there, and Gibbons PC. That being said, the other side of this whole millennial issue that we're talking about is this. I find it, and it's not just in our boys who, as we do this program, are 15 and 17. Mary's boys are? Uh, 14 and 17. Say they're moving into, you know, in a few years, they'll be 20-ish. My conclusion is that a disproportionate number of people in that age range, it's harder for them to, quote, own it, as we were talking about the book, Extreme Ownership, to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any significant difference about taking responsibility for younger people today versus there was a consequence if we didn't take responsibility, at least for me sure. and my contemporaries? Sure. And I, I think that's one of the problems that we're trying to solve with the Bacino Leadership Institute. So one of the things that's unique about our program is it's four years. And so that requires um, and has a lot of touch points, a lot of high quality touch points with what that student. What do you mean student. by touch points? Meaning I will see that student every week for four years, most likely, on average. At a You're their coach. So, well, I, I often more tell, than the head of the institute. Yeah, I, I often tell parents, you know, unless your child is a Division One athlete, there's no other person at the university that's going to see your child more than I will um, during their four years. And what that touch points allows us to do, though, is to give feedback. And so it's not like you take a class and you, you know, have a professor and you, and you will never see that professor ever again. Um, or you, you know, do an internship where it's a six-month thing and then you, you move mm -hmm. on. But in this situation, I will be able to provide you feedback. And we, we give all different types of feedback to our, uh, to our students. Um, and that's how I think you grow. Um, I, and I think when you compare how we did leadership development back in the day, or particularly just now, there's lots of companies out there that uh, they don't start their leadership development until you are mid-career. Pretty late. Yeah. That's, too late. It's too late. By the way, uh, if you're listening to uh, Brian Doctor, Brian Price, executive director of the Bucino Institute, Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, go Pirates. I'm curious about something. As we're talking about this whole feedback thing, one of the books here is, I'm looking for it's thanks for the feedback. I'm telling you, they're not just props. These are real books <laughs> that we've read. Every page, no, not every page, except for Mary. Of course. I feel uncomfortable oh. plugging my book. Would okay, you? so so I'll do it for I'm you. I'm joking, so I have no we problem. We have Mary. Lessons in Leadership. You are the brand. Make the connection. I mean, the list goes on and on. I didn't say plug every book. Stop. We don't oh. have time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Not enough time. It's but, too prolific. Yeah, but here's, here's the reason I'm mentioning it. The feedback thing, and thanks for the feedback, is one of my favorite books by uh, Stone and uh, Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen, H-E-E-N. Is I think most people, Mary and I talked about this on a previous episode of Lessons in Leadership. My experience, I think it is more difficult than I ever realized for people, all of us to some degree, to receive constructive, direct, and sometimes you're not the greatest feedback. Correct. Yeah. I, can, um, you, can, you, can you actually learn to be better at receiving feedback, or is it innate? No, I, I, I think it's a learned skill. And I would also kind of, uh, you know, dogpile on that and on the other side and say, I think it's sometimes very difficult for us to give critical feedback of others. And uh, how often do you receive training in doing that? Um, for not our, natural? For some people, it's not. For many? Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I, I think it is, a, it is a learned skill, but some people are kind of born with that uh, because it's a fear of confrontation. Um, Talk about that. Mary and I are mm -hmm. obsessed by this confrontation yeah. issue. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, about, about, I'm talking about healthy, constructive, important, 
strategic confrontation, not I'm a nasty person, I'm going to sure. argue with everyone. Yeah, I don't mean no, that. No matter how many times we do it, we still afterwards always regroup and say, wow, I could have done this better, or maybe I should have tried this, or I'll give Steve the feedback after he's given feedback to one of our team members. Say, Steve, really, maybe if you use these words instead, it might have been received a little bit better. So even as advanced as we believe we are in the leadership field, we're still learning every day. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think it's fun for anyone to Mm -hmm. get critical feedback. However, you know, going back to the learn comment, you know, Dweck's research in her book Mindset talks about the difference between a fixed and growth mindset. Who'd you mention? It's Carol Dweck is the the name. And the book? Uh, It's called Mindset. We will Um, include it. Go ahead. A fantastic book that talks about... Um, how we all have areas in our life where we either have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. If you've ever said something like, um, like I've said in the past, uh, I stink at learning new languages, that's a fixed mindset. Uh, If you had to flip it around to a growth mindset, it would say, I have in the past struggled with learning languages, but I'm capable of getting better. Um, And that little tweak um, is, is important. The second thing I would say is, just going back to your comment, Steve, earlier, is when you take a look at, just in sports, because this is an interesting context, you take a look at the best programs and the best coaches, and they all provide critical feedback to their players, but their players, you know, in the best teams are able to receive that feedback and improve. It's so interesting. It It, is. and, And here's to Brian's point. If you've never really received that kind of feedback. If you are used to, you're the greatest, you're terrific. And I'm not going to get into this whole everyone gets a medal thing, a trophy thing. I, I think it's, there's something to it, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But if you grew up in a household or an environment, Mary and I t- talked about how much of our style as leaders mm-hmm. is a product of what we grew up around. I grew up around uh, hearing constant, often very unhealthy criticism and feedback, like you, you stink, you suck, whatever. And that was from my dad with a lot of foul language in there. To me, that feedback, and I have to temper the feedback I give, which doesn't sound like that, I hope. The point is this, it's natural for me because it doesn't, mm-hmm. now receiving it is more challenging, but giving it is more natural for me because I grew up around mm-hmm. it. What about you? Uh, so I, not not that case. I mean, both of my parents were... Were they really nice? Uh, yeah. Wow. Like, what was that like? I'm unconditional. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be surprised. I'm so I, I told Steve the same thing about me. My parents were very nice, very kind, very loving. It so was unconditional love. But I also yeah. think that you can be, you can give critical feedback and still be with love. A few seconds left. Explain that. Well, it's it's difficult, but I think, you know, in order for you to, the other person has to understand that you care for them uh, beyond a transactional level. And I think, you know, obviously parents are sometimes better at doing that with their with their kids. I think it's tougher for bosses to do that. But the first step is, you know, um, you know, have you demonstrated the fact that, that, that you love and care for them? Got it. By, by the way, help me on this, Brian. I know we're live on the air. Um, we're supposed to be finished up with Dr. Price, but do we have a back end to do with Mary and I, or could we just keep going with Dr. Price? If you would like to keep going, keep going. How much time we have? We have about uh, 12 minutes before our next hit. Great. By the way, you can tell that we're live. I love it. (laughs) Now, I was hoping that you would do that, actually, because I feel like there's still more to talk about, so this is good. We talked about being assertive. Just you got a microphone in front of you. (laughs) I sure do. I'm going to use it. Let's keep going. So let's try this. Yeah. You grew up around uh, a family that was supportive of you? Uh, Yeah, 100%. 
I I'm told getting, you, it is possible. Andy, <laughs> uh, Andrew, uh, Steve's I'm starting more to realize like exactly. What did, our, what did one of the, our other guests talked about? What was the show she loved? Oh, Little House on the Prairie. And, <laughs> yeah. I like, and I said, that's how I grew up. We were like, you know, dancing through the fields, picking flowers, but, but also, hugging. Like, I, like I want to like articulate, um, you know, it, it, our family, you know, I grew up with divorced parents, you know. How so old were you? I was in first grade when they divorced. Oh, wow. But my father moved about four blocks away from us in order to be with, you know, close to us. And so I was fortunate enough to grow up in a time where um, I saw essentially both my parents every day, even though they did not live in the same household. Wow. So uh, kudos to them for, uh, for raising. And they had, it was myself and my two brothers. C connect this for us. Your view of parenting, not versus leadership, but compared to leadership. Someone says, what are you talking about? One is parenting and their kids, they're 10, they're 12, they're 17, they're 15. Leadership and management is totally different. He's 42. Is it dramatically different? I don't think so. Like when we talk about our definition of leadership, you know, we talk about- At the, Bucino, the great Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University. In the Eco Pirates. Um, you know, we say, you know, it's, can you, uh, realize, go from vision to reality by maximizing the efforts of everybody on your team. Try that again. So, you know, can you achieve your, you know, go from vision to reality while maximizing all the efforts of everybody on your team? And so when you look at a family unit and, you know, parents and, and kids, I think, you know, it, it, the same rules apply. You have to model good behavior, right? You have to show them the way. Don't just tell them the way. Um, and then when it comes to maximizing their efforts, I think in this age of helicopter parents and everybody wants to step in, um, you have to take a step back and realize, is that going to be maximizing the effort of your child when they get into the real world and they find out that not everybody does get a medal? Uh, my daughter came home just the other day. She's, uh, she's 10. Shout out to Schmoopy back home. Um, <laughs> and she applied to get some, uh, they had applied to go to some art show. And she did not get it. Um, it How'd was, you deal with that? Well, what's interesting was um, I learned on a podcast on the way home, Adam Grant, who um, you may have uh, heard about, he does some organizational psychology, fantastic podcast. Um, he, I don't particularly like you plugging another well, podcast. <laughs> after, after, after you've exhausted a, a leadership What's his name again? Hour, in all what's his name? Adam Grant. I, I think you'd really okay. enjoy uh, listening to him. And what'd you after, pick up from that? Uh, so he um, said, you know, What's the conversation that you always have with your kids, either after a sporting event or when they come home from we're school? We're just talking about this. Literally, literally you know, they just say, talking you know, about how this. many goals did you score? Um, uh, how'd you do in your test today? And so he said, flip the script and ask, um, who did you help today? Because he wants to grow. Change the questions. Change the questions. By the way, one of my favorite books. I hate that we keep doing this. Yeah. Change your questions, change your life Love by it. Dr. Mary Lee Adams. Why does it, why does the changing of the question? reframe the entire conversation, uh, Dr. Brian Price from the Bucino Leadership Institute. So, you know, in this situation, he feels as though if we're trying to uh, model the best behavior in what we want out of our children, you know, one of those things that we want them to grow up to be is empathetic, kind, caring people. And so by asking the first question, which is, you know, uh, who did you help today or who helped you? That's wow. the other question. And so that's how I found out about my daughter not getting that event. I said, who did you help today? And she said, well, I congratulated two people that got this experience that I did not get selected for. And I was like, proud parent moment, you know? Wow. Um, she did that? She, that was the first words out of her mouth. And then she told me, and I didn't get it. And I was like, wow. And I knew how, she, how much she wanted it. Powerful We're going to keep stuff. her. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah, would do that for you. Our, our daughter's nine, Olivia, and who very results oriented. I'm going to keep that in mind. By the way, Brian, as we're doing this, for our next guest, who is uh, uh, Ira Robbins, the yes. CEO of Valley, mm -hmm. the bank. If he's here, let him come up. If he's here, I'll go get him now. Thank. I, I didn't mean to say go get. Him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brian. Brian runs <laughs> East Main Media. Me Brian's the CEO of East founder of East Main Media. He's a like, go get him. <laughs> Talk about hands-on management. Well, it's so um, funny though, Brian, because Steve and I were talking before. I said I was I was trying to deal with something and how to how to deal with my child. Not not enough ice time in a game. He's an ice hockey player. Mm -hmm. And it's like what to say afterwards, right? When they're really young, it's a lot easier. Once they get to 10, you know, in this case, he's 17. I literally Googled like, what do I say, right? So when he drives sure. home and he walks in the door and it said, say nothing. It said literally hug him and say, you want something to eat? Because he already knows that he's disappointed because probably why he didn't get the ice time he wanted is because he wasn't performing in a certain way that the coach wanted. So to, to go into it and dig deeper, it, the thing that I read said just let them process and let them learn so they can get those self-coping mechanisms and just, you know, move on and make them realize, hey, let's get something to eat because it's not life and death that you just, you know, had this happen. And, and to your point, you know, it's mm -hmm. so interesting because we have children, our sons are 17 and 15. Mm -hmm. and as I said, our daughter is nine and I have an older son uh, graduated from Seton Hall with a master's degree in theology and religion and going on for his doctorate, awesome. um, teaching at St. Benedict's Prep. We talk about these things all the time, but what's interesting to me is that, by the way, our good friend Ira Robbins is in the house from Valley. Come on in, Ira. Just listen in. We'll be ready in just a few. Uh, by the way, this is Dr. Brian Price, who's the head of the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University. Yeah. He's, he's got kids, too. Ira and I, we're going to talk about kids as well. Mm -hmm. We have this conversation all the time. It's so interesting because with our kids, sports, great metaphor for a lot of things going on. They're also potentially embarrassed when they don't succeed or do well or score the goal or make varsity or whatever it is. They're embarrassed with us. Yeah. Sure. Well, because it's in a public setting, too. I mean, they're embarrassed with their friends, their peers, you know, the parents. They feel like they've let the parents down. So so, so yeah. stay on this. I asked this started with a conversation comparing parenting to leadership. You said that who was it said to flip the script again? Adam Grant. And the question was, who did you help today? Yes. Or who helped you? Yes. How does that, mm, but the kid is disappointed. Mm -hmm. How is that about leadership? So, so I, I love this. One of the things that we did with our students. I you didn't expect these questions. I know. <laughs> no, this is, uh, but this is awesome. This is why this is a great podcast. Um, and, it's, you know, you ask great questions. That's what you do for a living. Um, so uh, one of the things we do with each of our uh, classes at Seton Hall, when the new leaders come in. So we have about 80 students from all across the university. And one of the things we ask them is, what is your definition of leadership? And we get all the answers. I put them all into, have you ever done a word cloud before? Yes. So I pump, pump them, them into up, a word cloud. You put them up on a big PowerPoint slide. Go yep. Ahead. And so if you've never seen a word cloud before, the, the words that are more frequently used are larger. And yes. the words that are less frequently used are smaller. And so it kind of, it, it's great to kind of identify what are the, the common themes, but also maybe some subliminal things you might not catch in definitions. And I did it last year. And the word that the students came up with the one word that was larger than anything else was others. Others. I'm writing this down. Break it down for us. And so I did it this year, and lo and behold, and I don't give him any guidance. This is the first day, the first class that we have. And they come back with, you know, varying definitions. The word that popped out more often than others was others. Others. And so to answer your question is in terms of like, why is that question so important? Is it in leadership? The, the question being, who did you help today? Yes. Is because if you go to a 
others mindset, other people matter. Like to me, that is at the heart of, of leadership. And that also is one of the things that gives me, um, you know, I'm very proud of our students. We talk about millennials and how selfish they might be or Gen Z folks might be selfish. And the fact that the one word that was common in both classes, they don't know each other, was others. So interesting, by the way, one of the little rocks I hold on to, you can't see it on camera, it's called pay it forward, which reminds me that we owe others so much. And the other thing is that in, in and this is not a plug, but in Lessons in Leadership, my book, one of the chapters I enjoyed writing the most about empathy, you remember the subtitle of that? It's all about them. It's all about them. And we put them in caps. And someone says, well, who's them? Mm -hmm. And the answer was, anyone else other than you? The people who matter. How are you communicating to them that they matter? And it is a metaphor for, for us and a lot of the coaching we do, and Ira knows this, we'll be coming on. We, we, we do a Leadership Academy at Valley. And, and again, I'll be teaching at Seton Hall in the spring semester. Them means, if you're giving a presentation, I'm so nervous, what do I have to say? What about if I forget, it's all I. Mm -hmm. What about if I lose my place? What about if I get nervous? What about if they see me sweating? If you flip the script, I use your expression, mm -hmm. and ask, how can I be helpful to them, meaning who you're talking to? What is what I'm saying that has value to them? Am I making too much of this? No, I, it's, it's spot on. And I don't care if you're talking about parenting or uh, being a coach on your Little League team or running a business or Leadership Institute. Um, those rules apply. Absolutely. It's a big thing. It sounds in the minute we have left. Uh, final comments. Other than the fact that you're so excited about having me coming on to the faculty and teaching in the spring. We are. I'm joking. Stop. Um, other than that, the thing you're most excited about the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University coming in 2020 is? We are doing some fantastic new things with our students in interdisciplinary team projects. Interdisciplinary, don't get academic on me. What does it mean? Um, you put a bunch of kids with different majors on a team on a semester-long project, and then you give them feedback throughout. Um, so these students are identifying their semester-long projects, so they are pitching the idea, almost like a Shark Tank experience. Hmm. They are then going to, we're going to do like a fantasy football draft where they hire their own teams with the only prerequisite being that they uh, choose interdisciplinary. Like instead of if you play fantasy football, instead of like a quarterback and two wide receivers, you got to pick a nurse and two business kids, two diplomatic kids, two education kids. And so we are going, and we also film some of those board sessions. So Outside I'm super their excited. world. Love it. Uh, this has been Dr. Brian Price, who's the executive director of the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University. I want to thank you for joining us, my good friend. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, we can't wait to have you come teach with us in the spring. Go Pirates. By the way, Mary, let people know where they can find lessons in leadership while we thank our sponsors that include uh, Prager Metis, RWJ, Barnabas Health, uh, Valley, the folks at Valley uh, Bank, Gibbons, PC, New Jersey Resources, MD Advantage, and where can folks find us? Absolutely. Uh, they can subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcast and Google Play, as well as on our website, stand-deliver.com. And also on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD. On Twitter, Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on AM970 website. The AM970 website, and mm -hmm. also on ROINJ, on the Business and Industry Association, New Jersey website, mm -hmm. Fios On Demand. Yes. This is Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. That's... Dr. Brian Price, catch the next episode. We're going to have uh, Ira Robinson Valley, Lessons in Leadership. Check you out next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey.
Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, is brought to you by Prager Metis, Gibbons PC, Valley, and New Jersey Resources. This is Brian Brodeur from East Main Media, and we're proud to help produce Steve Adubato's Leadership Hour, co-hosted by Mary Gamba. To learn more about East Main Media, including our brand new production and event facility in Little Falls, New Jersey, you can visit eastmainmedia.com. That's www.eastmainmedia.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Just search for East Main Media. Thanks for listening. You may not have heard of Taver. Raj and Sandhya have. It's the minimally invasive alternative to open heart valve replacement. RWJ Barnabas Health is New Jersey's leading TAVR provider, and we continue to perfect it. Patients are often back to their lives in just a few days. Innovative valve replacement surgery, because you can't be replaced. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health. Berkeley College. Education prepares us to reach our dreams. Be inspired. Valley Bank. ADP, a comprehensive provider of human resources technology and services. The Northward Center. The Turrell Fund. Supporting right from the start NJ. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. New Jersey Resources. And by Delta Dental of New Jersey. Everyone deserves a healthy smile. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media and by Insider NJ. I'm Steve Arbato. This is State of Affairs coming to you from the Agnes Ferris NJTV studio in Newark. Our honor to once again join, be joined by Carlos Rodriguez, president and CEO of the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be here. Uh, some numbers we were talking about before we got on here. 900,000 people in the state, food insecure. Break it down. Break it down. It's uh, stubbornly over 10% of the population for almost as many years. And uh, even, you know, the interesting backdrop is that we have a record unemployment rate. So it just goes to show that the neighbor in need today is many times someone who actually has work income but is, making, uh, is having a hard time making ends meet. Carl says we put up the website underneath your name because we've been doing, being involved in public awareness with your organization for a while. We want to let folks know about the Community Food Bank because your work is so important, but tell folks exactly what you do. Well, what we do is fuel success by making sure all of our neighbors have the food that they need for that. And so whether you're a child uh, looking to learn or develop and grow into a young adult, or whether you're a parent going to work or a senior trying to stay active and healthy, um, that's what food is. Food is the cornerstone of what success can be for an individual. You know, this whole, the numbers game can be numbing, if you will. I often say numbers can be numbing if you have too many of them around. Like, what does that mean? Put that in context. One in seven children in the state of New Jersey is this food insecure term versus going hungry. Break that down for us. That means at any given point throughout the year, they don't know whether they can put food, the next meal on the These table. These are children. These are children. These are children in families. These are uh, the, going to school on an empty stomach, going home not knowing whether there's going to be a meal after they try to get their homework done or before they get their homework done in some cases. 
So that's the reality of hunger in our community. You know, I, I don't like to personalize this, but for those of us who have kids, right, they always, and they're so fortunate, we are so fortunate, that they have food. More food sometimes than they want or need, right? That's exactly we right. We are now talking about children who don't have food. Break it down, and by the way, we, we've been very much involved with some of our healthcare colleagues and partners talking about, quote unquote, social determinants of health. Going hungry has a lot to do with children and others getting sick. Food is a social determinant of health. It is the cornerstone for what your day is going to look like, how you're going to develop as a child, how productive you're going to be, how you're going to look for that next success in life. How about life. your brain works or doesn't work during school? It's, an, it's even more so than that. Not focusing and not having the fuel you need to learn and develop is one. But ha being a parent and not being able to feed your child actually causes uh, you to go into shock. And there's actually been studies that prove that there are psychological impacts when you cannot meet and you, in fact, are struggling to make basic needs happen for yourself and for your family. Carlos, we're going into the new year, it's 2020. It'll be seen after we're taping in November. It's over the holidays. The whole, we should do this. Number one, even though it'll be seen after the holidays, 25,000 turkeys are distributed by your organization around Thanksgiving? Around Thanksgiving and into the, the rest of the holiday season. Uh, 25,000 turkeys and other birds, because uh, right. sometimes we get roasters that's, uh, to make ends meet, and because some, some families prefer that. Uh, and it's something that we, yes, distribute during the holidays, but it's something that we plan for year-round, just the way we have to address the need of hunger year-round. Is, is the problem of hunger worse in the colder months? There is more anxiety and costs uh, associated with winter and the holiday season. So more anxiety because you, if you're having a hard time putting a meal on the table throughout the year, uh, making a special meal, as is so important in our culture for Thanksgiving, there's even more anxiety around that. And then, of course, you have things like heating and fuel costs um, and, and other expenses that might add on. You know, we put up the website, and we're not in the business of public broadcasting of advocating, if you will, but we're informing so that you can choose to be helpful or not. When we put up your website, what could people do if they wanted to actually be helpful? Well, the first thing is ex exactly that. Visit our website, learn how you can volunteer your time, your voice, your treasure. Every dollar at the Community Food Bank of New Jersey supports up to three meals. And so we can leverage donations, we can leverage purchasing power, and we can make sure that that food goes to every corner of New Jersey that where it's needed, from the northern border of Sussex and Bergen mm. County to the lighthouse in Cape May. You know, we've had conversations with some of our higher ed colleagues at, at Berkeley College, at Seton Hall University, at other places, where they talk a lot about, <clears throat> and by the way, it could be any university or college, any place in the region, the issue of food insecurity on the part of students. How is your organization dealing with that? And by the way, whose responsibility is that, particularly for students who barely can afford to be in college, much less live there, plus the books and other expenses? Food a big issue. Well, I'll start by saying that <coughs> hunger is a societal problem, and all sectors need to come together to make sure that th there's an end to it. And it's, it's a problem that can be solved. The problem of hunger in our community is not one of lack of food. Why it's, do you say it can be solved? Because it's not lack of food that's missing. It's lack of access to food. And so when you think about the disparity, as you just described it for college students, you're having a hard time making the finances work, and here you are trying to uh, create success for yourself. 
You're limited in your ability to do that if you're struggling to put food on the table, to, to nourish yourself, uh, to be able to learn and to be able to be productive. But how is it a societal issue? Meaning, are you arguing that there's a public, there are public policies? I kept thinking, are there public policies that could be created that would be helpful in this regard? I think public policy is one dimension. I think making sure that the distribution of food is available and, and affordable is, is another aspect of it. And then making sure that we understand the role of charity. And our, our role is, yes, make sure that we provide food uh, for the immediate need, but let's also lean in and figure out what's that underlying cause mm -hmm. and let's see if we can address it. Carlos Rodriguez is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. We're proud to be one of your media partners, if you will, trying to get the message out so that people can try to make a difference. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Steve. Well done. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. This is the State of Affairs. This is the NJTV studio in beautiful Brick City, Newark, New Jersey, the Agnes Varis NJTV TV studio. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Hi, Steve Adubato here in Atlantic City at the 166th New Jersey Education Association convention. We are talking to educators, leaders of the NJA, all sorts of national folks who talk about education as well. Once again, we're joined by Marie Bliston, president of the New Jersey Education Association. Good to see you. Good, thank now, you, Steve. Did you wear blue because you heard I was wearing this tie? I think I did. I think I had mental telepathy with By the you. Way, your vice president's wearing blue as well. I saw that. Yes. We're all on the same page. Good to know. By the way, you could tell that we're live here in Atlantic City because you see the activity going on. The convention is just kicking off early in the morning. Marie, first of all, tell, put this in context for folks because for those of us who have, we have a fourth grader who's like, Dad, I have the oh. two days off. Yeah. Well, those two days off, tell folks what goes on here. Well, they're not two days off for our educators in this state, that's for sure. We have 229 different workshops for our educators. We have 200,000 members, Steve, as you know, in our great public schools. And they have the availability to come here, participate in those workshops in areas of their expertise, to grow their own professional learning, and again, to make content specific and important and uh, relevant for our students in their lives. You know what's interesting, as you're listening to Marie, um, we're going to be interviewing <coughs> one of the main speakers here, Dr. Cornell West, internationally recognized, talks about race, social justice, and its connection to education. Your, your view of this, why is social justice a big theme at this convention? Well, it's a platform that my two colleagues, uh, Sean Spiller and Steve Beatty, and I ran on in your this great state. Your president and your secretary vice president and secretary your vice treasurer. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll see that the theme here says that for student success, we need education justice, we need social justice, and we need to do it by standing together. And that is a theme that we've had the past two years. We're going to continue it this year, and definitely next year, and into the future. So to have Dr. Cornell West here. That's a big deal. Oh, it's a huge Deal. Our two speakers yesterday, by the way, were two students in college, Priya and Winona, who started in high school from Princeton and High School. And they wrote a wonderful book. We have the book over there. Tell me who you are. Yes, tell, tell me who you are. And they I, went around the country. Tell everyone they what they did. They did. They went around the country. They went to all 50 states as soon as they graduated high school, took a year off before they went to college. Oh, by the way, they went to some small schools. It was at Harvard, Harvard and Princeton. Harvard and Princeton, yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm a Rutgers guy, so yes. I'm not impressed, yes. but go ahead. Well, <laughs> listen, these two girls, they're impressive. And they talked about race. They did. 
and racial justice and our ability to be cognizant of where we are today and to uh, want to grow our consciousness about it, to be uh, specific, intentional about critiquing what the status quo is, and then to use our talents and abilities to change and make the movement mm -hmm. in this country, you to know, make ourselves a better place. If you're just joining us, we're at the uh, New Jersey Education Association Convention here at the Convention Center in Atlantic City. 166 years they've been doing it. We're here with the president of the NJA, Marie Liston. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. We go from these big picture issues of social justice, yes. race, its connection to education, to a meat and potatoes issue you and I discussed on the radio recently. I was hosting over at AM 970 and you were good enough to get up real early and, and join us. And you talked about standardized testing. Yes. For folks who care about this thing called the PARC test. Yes. P-A-R-C-C. -E, yes. Is it done? Is it dead? Well, we're still talking about standardized testing and its proper use with our students in education. And I always start with where we should start. What is the role of education? A role of education is to enable our students to become productive citizens in this great country of ours. Let's start from there and let's work backwards on what it is that they need. Testing has its role, just as standards do. And I'm a big supporter of standards in our state and implementing those standards. But when we look at standards, we must look at what the education education is, what the curriculum is. What we know about testing is it has its place. It gives us a snapshot. It's hel it helps guide us as we move along. But there are different types of testing. And the most formative, the most important testing for me as a classroom teacher was always to... Go back. Hold yeah. on. <clears throat> go back and let people know before you became the president, yes. you were in the classroom for a couple of years yeah, at least. Yeah, more than 30 years. I taught, yeah, and I taught kindergarten through 12th grade over those many years, regular education, as well as students who receive special education. Good. Go back to, the, that's great background. Yes. Context. Go back to this connection to testing. Well, as a classroom teacher, I was constantly assessing my students' learning while I was teaching a lesson. That's, I'm trained to do that. I'm an expert in that. So that I would know, even as I was delivering a lesson, whether I was meeting their needs, whether I was capturing their attention, connecting with their background knowledge, so that they could in fact get the concept or did I need to readjust constantly? That's assessing. I also used formative assessing, assessments, which are the classroom test and uh, the, the district test that we would use. But Marie, you're not saying you, you, you don't believe in standardized testing right. at all. No, absolutely not. Because there's it gonna has be something place. after park. It has its place. But whether we have the overemphasis that this state during prior years put into place. Steve, we right now are spending 65 hours of our students' attention doing standardized testing. Put that, that in context, what does that, that mean? Well, that equates to over 80, 45 minute periods of instruction that our students could be doing instruction in the arts, in music, in art education, in science, in social studies. There are so many other things that we use. We are not making robots of our students. Our students are more than a test score. You know, we are in agreement with our other stakeholders. I just saw a paper recently by the School Boards Association. They've come together and produced and you a summary agree paper. On things. You know, more times than not but that we do. But the point is you have different agendas, but on this, 
No, you know what? I, our agenda is the same. Our, our agenda is to provide the best quality public education that we can for our students. And when I look at the school board's recent summary on social emotional needs mm. of our students and the fact that they, in fact, have a sentence in their paper that our students are more than a test score, that's what I said in a recent op-ed. So you're in sync on this? I, we are, absolutely. We want what's best for our students, and we want a full-rounded, quality public education. We are not here to produce students who can only take tests. And I will add this, Steve, that the colleges themselves are no longer relying on standardized test scores for entrance. They are looking at what we know works. They were looking at a student's full profile, what their academic courses were, how they did, and what else they did in high school. You've been listening to and watching Marie Bliston, who is the president of the NJEA. We're here at the uh, NGA convention. I should have said this up front. The New Jersey Education Association is a longtime underwriter. I should disclose that, and a long, longtime underwriter of what we do at the Caucus Educational Corporation and of our colleagues and partners at NJTV. Um, I want to thank you, Marie. No, thank you, Steve. It's we good appreciate to be here. it. We love being here. We're excited to be here. And again, our uh, educators, we're our number one in the United States, by the way. Oh, yeah. Best by quality the way, public was schools. It, was it, who was it again? Education Weekly. I knew you'd know that. Yeah. They said it's, number one. They were said number one. We were number two for a while. We were very proud of it. But we said we were not going to stop until we got to be Isn't number it great? one. New Jersey and we're going to stay there. New Jersey's number one in something other than yes. property taxes, yes. auto insurance <laughs> yes. rates. We're number one. Well, that's <laughs> why people want to move here, by the way. They know that they have a quality public education. Education system. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Steve. Well, I appreciate Thank it. you. We'll be back right after this, promise. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We are honored to be joined by our good friend Stacy Berger, who is president and CEO of the Housing and Community Development Network of New Jersey. Good to see you, Stacey. Thanks for having me. Uh, as you put up your website, tell folks who you are and what you do and why it matters. Sure. We're the statewide association of nonprofit community development organizations that work to make sure everyone is a safe, decent, affordable place to call home in our great communities around New Jersey. See, I could read that on the website. Now, break that down. Give us a concrete example of who you would be helping and what they would be struggling sure. so with. So we, we support our member organizations, like the folks here in Newark who are working in neighborhoods across the city, Ironbound Community Corporation, La Casa de San Pedro, Habitat for Humanity, um, chapters all around the state. We provide technical assistance, training, advocacy, and, and education and outreach on the behalf of our member organizations. Big so, picture. Sure. I'm sorry, big picture. Sorry for interrupting. No. Um, how unaffordable is housing in this state? So and compare it to other states. Sure. So we rank sixth as the least most affordable place to rent an apartment in the country. The most expensive. The most expensive. So least affordable, most expensive yep. place to rent an apartment uh, here in the Garden State all Why? across the country. Why? Well, one, we don't have enough places that people can afford to call home. Um, and second, we really have a wage problem where people are not earning enough to keep up with the housing costs. And unlike most of the other states in the country, we still suffer from the foreclosure crisis. So where many of my colleagues at other state associations are around the country can say they're, you know, they see the foreclosure crisis in their rearview mirror, we still have people who were formerly homeowners who are now in the rental market because they can't stay in their home. And then we have foreclosed properties that are sitting vacant and abandoned. So we are looking forward um, to some of the 
policies that the Murphy administration has put into place um, and adopted some legislation. Such as name one. Pardon? Name one of the things that the Murphy administration is doing in this regard that you believe and your colleagues believe it's being helpful. Well, for starters, they, this governor is the first governor in a decade to fully fund the state's affordable housing trust fund. Yeah, so, okay, what is the state's affordable... Housing trust fund? What is it? It is a pool of dedicated resources that every time somebody buys or sells a house in the state of New Jersey, a portion of that realty transfer fee goes into that fund and helps offset the cost of building affordable homes. So nonprofits and some for-profit for developers can access those resources for investment in the, in the developments and that so people the, can the live in. The Governor Murphy administration put the money that was supposed to be put in there for the first time in? A decade. Governor Corzine started... Um, to, to draw from that funding and using it to use it to backfill the budget, but Governor Christie really raised it to an art form uh, and drew from all kinds of dedicated funding sources to pay for uh, his budgets. And so this is really a restoration of the trust fund's intent and purpose. He also um, created an office of homelessness prevention, which we believe will help people, you know, prevent prevent becoming homeless. And he changed a rule that that makes it easier for people <clears throat> to prove their own prove that they're homeless and that they need resources. So. so we're turning the page on some of the really bad practices. Also, Governor uh, Christie did literally nothing about the foreclosure crisis, not a thing. Um, and this governor has made some moves to, to help with that by, uh, I believe there were nine bills that were signed in Atlantic City about six months ago that had been in the legislature mm -hmm. for a long time, including providing uh, resources for housing counseling, which is super important. If people are facing foreclosure, they often wait to get help, and that is not the right move. They need to get to a housing counselor to check out their options, find out what resources are available, and see what can be done to keep their family and themselves in their home. Stacey, let's break this down a little bit uh, less sure. on a political or policy end, but more on a human, personal level. Sure. When a family has a very difficult time affording the housing they have or the housing they need, what kind of impact does it have on a family? It actually affects the health of everybody living in that family. Is this, excuse me for interrupting, a social determinant It is a social health? Yes, yeah, 60% of your health actually comes from your environment. So housing, income, community factors are actually a bigger driver in a lot of instances than the actual biology or the health care that you see. So housing and health? They're, they are intertwined. Kane never said, not perfect together. <laughs> uh, Governor Kane did not say housing and health were perfect together, but they are. We, we like but to say that housing is health care. Housing is health care. Break it down. For example, uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation recently did a study that found that folks in uh, Trenton live 14 years less than folks seven miles away in the city of in the township of Princeton. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out um, that. If you're living in a community that has all kinds of amenities, is walkable, has cleaner air, has better environment, you know, better environment in general, um, that the quality and longevity of your life is going to be better. We, wow. And, and so those numbers are pretty staggering. Where your, what your zip code is shouldn't determine the quality of your, your life. Every zip code should, have a, should be a place that people can thrive. And that's really what our members are doing, making sure that people have safe, affordable homes, access to, to quality jobs at decent at living wages, opportunities for education and child care. You know, Stacey, you and I have known each other for more than a couple of years. Just a few. And we've talked about a whole range of issues. Mm -hmm. Well, whoever you're affiliated with, whatever you're doing, it always struck me. It always struck me, and it strikes me now, that um, your concern, your interest, your passion for those who are struggling and those who need that helping hand has been pretty consistent. Where does that come from? Uh, it comes from 
how I grew up and how I was raised. I was saying before we started taping, my, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, um, and he always said, you know, paying taxes was the most patriotic thing he could do. And I think that, you know, being part of the fabric of our community and being involved in, in society and paying our fair share is really an important part of being a good citizen. Is that part of the reason why, when I asked you before we got on the air, if you were supportive of Governor Murphy's call to raise taxes um, on the first dollar over a million dollars for people in the state of New Jersey, there's a certain tax rate right now, he wants to raise it. You said, yeah, absolutely I agree with that. But what would that have to do with Housing-related issues, yeah. Sure. Well, for starters, it would help bring more revenue into the budget and, and make sure that we can balance the budget without having to have these raids or, you know, re redirection of, of resources. We know that when the state has the kind of resources that it can spend on its people, we all do better. I mean, Senator Wellstone used to say, right, we all do better Senator when we all Paul do better. Wellstone, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what this comes down to is we, the state of New Jersey, for the last 10 or 15 or even 20 <sighs> years, has really been starved for the ability to invest in our people and our infrastructure. Let me play a little devil's advocate. No. Yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> there are a fair number of friends of mine who um, are older than you and that have worked for a while and are paying taxes in the state. And they'll say, this, this is it. I'm, and you know, you've heard this. Your friends say the same thing. Some of them. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to pay New Jersey income taxes. I'm going to Florida. No income tax there. Do you ever worry that the cost of living in the state for those who are more comfortable than the folks you're talking about will leave, will lose that tax revenue, and therefore it negates everything you just said because we lose that revenue. I don't worry about that because the data doesn't back that up. I'm a person that believes in numbers and, and data and anecdotal evidence has, doesn't move you. It, it doesn't scare me. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not scared by the boogeyman of things that are, can't be proven. <clears throat> I, I believe in science and math, and I think that most people do too. Yeah. You know, it, the data doesn't show that that actually is what it. happened. I'm not buying it, okay. and I don't think our elected officials should either. How about this Airbnb? What, what were, 20 seconds. What was the vote that mattered in Jersey City on Airbnb? Why is Steve Fulop the mayor talking about it? What the heck does it have to do with housing? It has everything to do with housing because Airbnb was operating in the city of Jersey City uh, without really any regulations. And when the city adopted a what seemed to be a fair, you know, sensible ordinance that would regulate how Airbnb could control a large portion of the rental market, which we talked about earlier being very small and not, not nearly enough, and that really that supply and demand problem really drives the issue of not having affordable rents and because we don't have because there aren't enough. Two places. seconds, go ahead. Sure. So that that um, that ordinance was really a, a litmus test for whether Airbnb was going to be able to take more than its fair share of the marketplace. This is going to be an ongoing issue. I, it probably is going to be an ongoing issue, but I think the people in Jersey City spoke and they, they stood up for the rest of New Jersey. Stacey Berger will be back talking about that and other things on State of Affairs. I want to thank you, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. Well done. Thanks. Stay right there. I'm Steve Adubato. This has been State of Affairs. We'll catch you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health, Berkeley College, Valley Bank, ADP, the Northward Center, the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, New Jersey Resources, and by Delta Dental of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media and by Insider NJ. Hi, I'm Dennis Wilson, President and CEO of Delta Dental of New Jersey. You probably know that visiting your dentist and daily at-home care are necessary for maintaining good oral health. 
What you might not know is that your oral health is connected to your overall health. Oral health may impact conditions like diabetes, blood disorders, and heart disease. Regular cleanings and checkups allow your dentist to assess your risk and keep you and your smile healthy. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen and I got my life back. The sharing network means to me hope, life, and everything. The sharing network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.